from ABC7 New York, this is Eyewitness News Extra Time. And good evening, good Monday evening. I'm Josh Heinegger. Welcome to Eyewitness News Extra Time. It has been months of campaigning and door knocking, months of town halls and debates. Tonight, the first votes are cast of the 2024 race to the White House. Caucus goers in Iowa are gathering tonight to get, decide who will get Iowa's delegates to become the Republican nominee for president. Hampering the turnout, though, is the weather. It could wind up being the coldest caucus day on record. Still, Republican candidates have been urging their supporters to show up, which they have to do in person. ABC's Rena Roy is gearing up for a long and cold night in Des Moines tonight. Rena? Hey, Josh. Yeah, that's right. I can tell you it is bitterly cold out there. And today is the day. As you said, we are just about an hour and a half away until caucusing gets underway and voters make their voices heard. It's the first major test of the Republican race. Get excited. Iowans across the state gathering at churches, schools, and community centers for this election year tradition. Iowa loves this. We love the caucuses. But this time around could be the coldest on record with sub-zero temperatures. It's been a challenging last uh, 24 hours. It's such an important caucus. It's such a critical time right now. That, our, that people will show up. Candidates braving the bitter cold to make their final pitch to voters, urging their supporters to show up in a big way. Let's get everybody out. Take five people with you. Whatever you gotta do, we're gonna get it done. If you all do your part, if you all give me your vote tonight, I promise you, we will stop at nothing to do ours. Former President Donald Trump holding a dominant lead. We're gonna have a tremendous night tonight. The people are fantastic, and I've never seen spirit like they have. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now in a heated race for second place. Haley ahead by several points in recent polling. DeSantis staking his entire campaign on Iowa, visiting all 99 counties, holding more events than Trump and Haley combined. We have an opportunity tonight uh, to really chart a new course forward for this country. And DeSantis tells ABC that regardless of the outcome tonight, he's staying in the race. Josh. There hasn't been much of a mention of Donald Trump uh, through all of this because he's been avoiding the debates and he hasn't really been all that visible. Uh, I'm curious how turnout could impact this race, whether it's, you know, turnout's always depressed because of bad weather, whether it's rain or snow or in this case cold. Does, does the former president stand to win if fewer people turn out? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. We don't know what the turnout will be like. That's something we're all waiting for. But we do know that Trump, he is feeling very confident tonight. Our crews here on the ground uh, in Des Moines just spoke to him a short time ago. He says he is feeling confident that he will surpass that 50 percent mark despite uh, his light campaigning schedule. He says he's never seen voter spirit like he's seeing here in Iowa. Josh. Well, I guess we'll see what uh, what we see tonight. Of course, that's something that you'd expect Donald Trump to say on the eve of the Iowa caucus. It should be an interesting late night. Glad you're inside and not outside. Uh, the best seat in the house. Yes. Rena Roy, live in Iowa. Thank you. Thanks for joining us tonight. It won't be as miserably cold as in Iowa, but New York's 700 day snowless streak could finally snap by tomorrow. Forecasters say an approaching front could bring up to three inches of snow to the area. The National Weather Service has issued a winter weather advisory for all five boroughs starting at 8 o'clock tonight until 1 Tuesday afternoon. Alternate side parking regulations are suspended tomorrow. 
This will not be the storm of the century, of course, but it could make history if it snaps a nearly two-year snow drought brought about by climate change. Yesterday marked exactly 700 days since the last time the city saw an inch of snow. That was in February of 2022. It was the, this has been the city's longest snowless streak since 1869 when record keeping began. And since then, we've gotten a lot of rain, more than 103 inches of rain. Buffalo has had the snow. They've recorded an incredible 172 inches of snow. And the Earth has traveled over 1.1 billion miles through space. I'm not sure why that last point is relevant, but meteorologist Jeff Smith joins us now with the timing and track on this approaching winter storm. And Jeff, it's getting a little bit more interesting north and west. It is. That was a very good perspective, by the <laughs> way, Josh. Here's a look at the uh, winter weather advisories we have. In effect, as Josh was saying, basically for the entire area, one to four inches of snow across the area. Generally, one to three. The four-inch amounts probably reserved for areas north and west of New York City. There will be slippery roads. We have temperatures more than cold enough to support that snowfall readily accumulating on all untreated surfaces overnight tonight into the day tomorrow. By the way, we're still tracking the Passaic River. Of course, we had that major flooding last week. It's at moderate flood stage right now. This will finally fall below flood stage as we head toward Wednesday. They've been waiting a while there. Extended stretch of chilly weather this upcoming week. Really the bottom line here, the period of snow tonight into tomorrow, accumulating a general one to three inches across the area. So watch for slick spots on all roadways and sidewalks, especially if they're untreated right through the day tomorrow. But especially for that morning commute, we'll have low visibility we'll have snowfall accumulating at that point. By the evening commute, the snowfall rates should have tapered off, but there still could be some slick spots by then. Some areas north and west can get a little bit more, maybe upwards of four, even up to five inches in one or two spots. I wouldn't be completely shocked. So here's our satellite radar getting some reports of snow flurry activity down the Jersey Shore. And there's a lot more where that came from off to our south and west. And this will continue kind of moving in our direction overnight tonight. And look at these temperatures. You know, it's that biting cold when you step outside. Again, more than cold enough to support that snowfall very quickly accumulating on all surfaces. Temperatures right now in the upper 20s in the city, mid 20s at Belmar right now, 25 at Newburgh, 28 on the island at Islip. So by eight o'clock, there's that snow making its way up toward parts of Middlesex and Monmouth counties in the city. Maybe we get our first flakes sometime between 9 and 10 o'clock this evening. By midnight, a lot of the area getting light to occasionally steady snow. And it's kind of on and off right through early tomorrow morning. Actually, our steadiest batch of snow could be during the morning commute, which would not be great timing. And that can last through about midday. At the same time, right along the coast, temperatures rising above the freezing mark. So, yes, you get some rain or at least some mixed precipitation involved. And the mix can even get into parts of New York City. We'll be right on the cusp of getting that in Central Park rising, maybe just above the freezing mark before it goes back over to snow as we head into the afternoon hours. But 99% of this situation, I think, will be snow from New York City and points north and west, mixing mainly along Long Island and down along the immediate uh, portions of the Jersey Shore. By dinner time tomorrow night, all of this is exited off to our north and east, and then it's all about the bitter cold. By Wednesday morning, coldest night of the season so far, 21 in the city, teens north and west, and only recovering into the middle 20s by Wednesday afternoon. So in terms of snowfall amounts, one to three, New York City, Long Island, down the shore, right along, say, Southern Ocean County, only according to an inch there with more mixing, maybe the South Fork of Long Island. Just north and west of the city, though, a pretty widespread area, three, four, maybe even five inches in one or two spots. Cloudy with snow arriving this evening, continuing overnight. Watch for slippery roads and sidewalks out there, that low dipping down to about 27. Snow tapering off in the afternoon, one to three inches for most, three to four inches in spots north and west. Again, that mixing right along the coast, getting up to 
to about 33 in Midtown. It's brisk and cold tomorrow night, clearing skies. Watch for icy spots. Anything that melted during the day will refreeze quickly tomorrow night with that low dipping down to 21. AccuWeather alert on Wednesday for that bitterly cold wind, 29, feeling more like the teens. Cloudier Thursday could be a couple of afternoon flurries, maybe a steadier batch of snow again Thursday night. And right through the day on Friday, we may have to end up AccuWeather alerting that as well. Definitely by Saturday, morning snow and then frigid 24 degrees out there for a high and then gradually warming up into the early part of next week. But finally, winter making its presence felt around here in the tri-state area. Josh, back over to you. Not so thrilled that it's happening during the morning rush. Of course, yeah. not, the, not the best timing. I will say there's tons of road salt around the city. Yes, so I've noticed it almost looks like it. snow on the roads. It's <laughs> salt. It's basically right. they dumped a dump, dump truck every couple of blocks. And, yes. And so we'll see if that, if that if makes that a dent. Thanks so much, Jerry. You mentioned the Passaic River. Well, in North Jersey, lots of people are now trading in boats and waders for ice skates. The flood water may be receding, as Jeff just said, but waterlogged neighbors, neighborhoods are becoming ice rinks. Cars that just days ago were stuck in floodwaters now have their wheels encased in ice. As New Jersey reporter Tony Yates shows us, the residual weather trouble is far from over. Four rowboats are tied up along Lane Road in Fairfield, some families for days now, having to leave home like this for groceries and errands, and then piling their kids back in the boat to return home. Passaic River has receded, but it's left pockets of trouble spots, like River Edge Road, where areas are iced over. This morning, after we opened up Bloomfield Avenue and Little Falls Road, we were just waiting for that to get salted, and now they're all, those are both good to go. Our concern now is the snow that we're getting tonight into tomorrow for roads like uh, River Edge Drive. For example, if the water is still up on the roadway and Horseneck Road also, they're not going to be able to plow that because there's still water on the road. Towns also dealing with cleanup and removal of bulk items that families lost to the floods. Streets in Little Falls all dry now after days of some of them were underwater. And many people who've had to deal with these floods over and over again during the years are just not optimistic that the problems will be fixed once and for all. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. This has been... No, they won't do nothing. Red Cross crews are making rounds to see which communities need what. Here in the aftermath of the floods and the current cold weather, it's been long days for volunteers, so much so that the organization says it needs more volunteers and donations to meet the needs that have not stopped. It's a one, two, three punch. Uh, we're, we see a little fatigue among our local volunteers, which is why we always encourage people to consider volunteering. It's a very, very rewarding experience to help people when they're in their darkest hour. In Fairfield, Tony Yates, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. The Adams administration is moving forward tonight with plans to impose curfews on a handful of migrant centers across the city after neighbors complained the asylum seekers were panhandling. Starting tomorrow, migrants staying at the affected respite centers will be required to check in each night by 11 p.m. and remain inside until 6 a.m. That mirrors the standard protocol in place at homeless shelters across the city. And as Eyewitness News reporter Dan Krauth shows us, many of the migrants just learned about the curfew today. Edwin Mendoza tells me he came to the city to escape gang violence in Ecuador three months ago, along with his wife and three children. They've been living in Astoria, one of the four respite centers ever since. He has been able to find work as a delivery worker, but the company he works for wants him to work primarily at night after the new 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew begins. He says many of us who work in delivery work at night so we can save money so that later we can get an apartment or at least a room for the family. 
The city's now requiring all migrants to check in by 11 p.m. There are exceptions for things like work or medical appointments, but an approved pass is needed. Mendoza is now rushing to try and get paperwork from his employer to prove he's working. The curfew comes after neighbors in some communities complained of asylum seekers panhandling after hours, in some cases knocking on doors asking for money. The mayor said on the radio this morning the city's homeless shelters already have the same curfew. I am pissed off and angry about what is happening to our city, and I'm blamed. I'm blamed for the buses. I'm blamed because I don't control the borders. I'm blamed because of the resources that's hit it. I'm blamed for that. And says all migrant shelters could have the same curfew soon. Over the past year, close to 170,000 asylum seekers have traveled to the city, almost double the expected amount. And at least 2,500 continue showing up each week. When I asked Mendoza what his future holds in New York. ¿Qué es el futuro para tu familia aquí en Nueva York? He said it's not to be a burden. It's to get documents, like a work permit, so he can create a home for his family. The city says if anyone breaks curfew three times within 30 days, they can be expelled from the shelter system. Reporting in Harlem, Dan Crouch, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time this Monday night, the special recognition for the man who helped Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. write one of the most famous speeches in modern history. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Across the country, Americans today remembered civil rights icon Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Communities across the nation celebrated the holiday with acts of service, prayer services, and parades. In Washington, D.C., Martin Luther King III participated in a wreath-laying event at his father's memorial. Here at home, the Brooklyn Academy of Music honored Dr. King with its 38th annual tribute in Fort Greene. The event featured speeches and musical performances. The annual tribute hopes to help people reflect, recharge, and support one another in honor of Dr. King's relentless pursuit of equality and justice. Dr. Clarence B. Jones attended several MLK events. He played an important role in, craft, in drafting King's I Have a Dream speech in August 1963, which he penned from his former home in the Bronx. Eyewitness News reporter Darla Miles spoke with him today. 4635 Douglas Avenue is very, very important in my life. 4635 Douglas Avenue in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. I agreed to have Dr. King and his family come and stay here for six weeks. In 1963, it was the home of Dr. Clarence B. Jones, personal counsel, advisor, and draft speechwriter for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We used to hold conference calls two or three times a week from my living room. And is where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stayed in the weeks before the March on Washington, preparing his I Have a Dream speech. When I sat down to undertake writing a speech for him, I retained the sound of his voice in my ear better than most could do, because I could retain the fidelity of his voice. Before going to law school, Dr. Jones studied at Juilliard. Musical training he used to craft melodious, high-impact, memorable speeches for Dr. King. Sometimes Martin would say to me, he says, you know, I read this draft. He says, you're a scary. I said, what do you mean? He said, you say, stop, repeat, and pause. 
I said, who does that? I said, well, that's my Juilliard School of Music training. More than 60 years later, Jones returning to New York City, being honored for his own work with Dr. King. When I get up every day, I don't take life for granted. But I get up every day with a purpose. I get up every day and say, I'm 93 years old. How can I devote the remaining part of my life to what he believed in and what he sought to achieve. Now serving as chairman of Spill the Honey, a social justice nonprofit continuing to grow the powerful alliance with the Jewish community used during the civil rights movement. We could not have done it without that alliance. End of story. Darla Miles, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time, a milestone of one of the most remarkable days in New York City or aviation history. Passengers and rescue workers gathered to remember what became known as the Miracle on the Hudson. We've been following this since it happened earlier this afternoon. The pictures initially shocking. Really, they still are. A plane down in the Hudson River. We've been showing you video of passengers who have been rescued, all of them rescued, taken to dry land. And as of now, we are told that everyone has been rescued and that there are no deaths. So many years later, it still gives you chills to realize that everyone survived that incident. It was 15 years ago today on a cold January night, a night much like this one, when U.S. Airways Flight 1549 ingested a flock of Canada geese just after takeoff from LaGuardia. Both engines stopped cold. Captain Chesley Sully Sullenberger and his first officer, Jeff Skiles, managed to land their Airbus 320 right in the middle of the Hudson River. All 155 people on board survived. Some call it the miracle on the Hudson. Others say it's a triumph of training and experience in the cockpit. Whatever you call it, it was a remarkable day. And today, Eyewitness News reporter Anthony Johnson caught up with some passengers and the Good Samaritans who plucked them from the icy river. This is the captain. Brace for impact. Shortly after Captain Sully Sullenberger made that announcement, Flight 1549 crash landed in the Hudson River, where the water was close to freezing. Passengers bearing the cold climbed out for safety, and thanks to some quick-thinking rescue workers, every passenger survived. First responders are humble. They don't want to be referred to as heroes because that's their livelihood. Denise pointed out her approximate location in this iconic photo of the passengers standing on the wings of the aircraft. Dave was near the exit and jumped into the water before being picked up by a ferry boat. This closest ferry I can find that's into that wing, I tell people, it's the longest 15 yards of my life. Dave ended up in the hospital that night suffering from hypothermia. But 15 years later, he is back to thank the brave men and women who helped in the rescue and recovery, including the Red Cross, emergency workers, and the New York Waterway ferry boat captains who transported most of the passengers to safety. So you could see the plane coming down. And when the door opened from the plane and the people jumped out, then it clicked, you know. Oh, this is an emergency. The boat captains say the training they received after 9-11 helped them with their rescue efforts 15 years ago today. I'm thankful I made the right decisions. I had faith to guide me, and uh, we do train for all uh, waterborne incidents. On the west side, Anthony Johnson, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. 
Most of them just boat captains who happened to be in the Hudson at the time who jumped into action and saved all those people. What a story so many years later. And as we continue with Eyewitness News Extra Time tonight, are you buried under a pile of credit card debt? If so, join the club and we'll show you some tips on how to tackle it. In today's Health Alert, a new study claims a baby's weight when he or she is born may have an impact on their IQ later in life. Researchers analyzed the cognitive tests of more than 30,000 five-year-olds. They say kids with low birth weights who were born prematurely wound up with lower IQ scores. Scientists say the scores rose as birth weight increased up to the 69th percentile and time in the womb approached 32 weeks. Doctors say early intervention can improve developmental delays. A term made up as a PR stunt for a European travel company has caught on. Today is called Blue Monday, and it's supposedly the most depressing day of the year. While research has not proved there's any one day more depressing than any others, health experts say many people do feel sad or experience seasonal affective disorder this time of year. Symptoms include feeling sad, irritable, or guilty. You may lose interest in things you used to love, have lower energy, or experience changes in sleep or appetite. You know, I always tell people if they are noticing these issues, don't wave them aside. Don't think, oh, it's just that third Monday, you know, I'm supposed to be depressed. Get help. Doctors say ways to cope include regular exercise, eating well, getting enough sleep, staying connected to family and friends, and increasing exposure to light. Credit cards can be a great tool. With just a quick tap or a swipe, you make a transaction, you worry about where all that money's coming from later. But millions of Americans have racked up debt on their credit accounts. ABC's Melissa Adan shares how to manage and pay off your credit card debt. A new report from NerdWallet found that Americans owe a total of $1.21 trillion in credit card debt. This year we found that credit card debt is up 16% compared to a year ago. And that's not the only form of borrowing that costs more. Mortgages, student loans, and auto loans are also up, which is putting a lot of people in a very tough situation when it comes to being able to repay those loans. NerdWallet Sarah Rathner says the first step to paying down debt is to make a list of all the amounts you owe and the interest rate for each debt, then make a debt payoff plan. And that idea is to keep you motivated and organized while you make debt payments. One popular method is debt avalanche, where you prioritize the debt with the highest interest rate first, then move to the debt with the next highest interest rate on your list. Or you could try a debt snowball, where you focus on the debt with the lowest balance and keep moving your way up to higher balances. Rathner says you can also try to lower the interest rates on your cards. Start by calling the number on the back of your credit card and talk to somebody in customer service and see if you'd be eligible for a lower credit card interest rate. You can also look into balance transfer credit cards. You typically have to pay a small fee. It's three to five percent of the transferred balance. So that's something to budget for. But if what you can stand to save on interest is higher than that fee, it does become worth it. And if you're struggling to make just minimum monthly payments, Rathner says there's help available. Look for a nonprofit credit counseling service. They can help you with your budgeting, with debt negotiations, and with other actions you can take to help make your debt a little bit more manageable. Melissa Don, Channel 7 Eyewitness News. 
And finally tonight, a first for the Miss America pageant. A U.S. Air Force officer has won the title. 22-year-old Madison Marsh was crowned Miss America Sunday night. She is a second lieutenant in the U.S. Air Force. She represented the state of Colorado in the pageant. She is the first active duty Air Force officer ever to win the national title. Marsh is also a master's student at the Harvard Kennedy School's public policy program. 51 contestants participated in the event, representing all 50 U.S. states and the District of Columbia. Who will Iowans pick as their choice for the GOP presidential nominee? The Iowa caucuses are tonight, that first in the nation nominating convention, and we will have the hopefully results tonight on Eyewitness News after the game. For now, that's Eyewitness News Extra Time. Thanks for joining us. I'm Josh Einiger. Have a great night.